Amen. This is my favorite Sunday. No joke. Like, I have been looking forward to this for weeks. I have written and rewritten this message multiple times because I kept having to take stuff out because I am excited. Today we get to talk about, uh, we're taking a break from the book of Mark, if you've been following along with us. We get to We are commanded in Scripture to celebrate. Did you guys know that in Scripture we are commanded to celebrate? It's not just a, yeah, if you get around to it, but there are commands. When you read through the Old Testament, there were multiple feasts and celebrations every single month where the Lord, the Lord told them, stop your work, take time and celebrate. Get together as families, sometimes get together as whole nations and celebrate, and they were commanded to do it. And in the New Testament, we have two celebrations that we are commanded to keep regularly, baptism and communion. I will bring it. Baptism and communion are two things that we are scripturally commanded to celebrate. Not just do, but celebrate together. They're not things that can just be done privately with you in your home, but we're told that when we gather together, we're to observe these two celebrations. And so today what I want to do is just spend a few short minutes teaching on each one of those celebrations, and then we're actually going to do them which for me is why it's the best Sunday ever. I love baptisms. I have never been to a baptism service where I wasn't crying. Whether I knew the people, I've been to churches where I was just visiting, I was a complete stranger, and I'm just bawling because people were being baptized. It is such an incredible celebration, especially when you understand what baptism is, what baptism means. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna do is again, just take a few short minutes and answer the question, what is baptism and what is communion? I want us to have a full understanding before we actually take time and practice these things this morning. So first, we're going to talk about baptism. And I'm going to explain our churches, or actually our denomination's stance on baptism. Maybe you didn't know we're part of a denomination. What's our denomination called? Oh, the, the. The Christian and Missionary Alliance. There are a number of people who have been coming to church for years and didn't know. We're part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we have a stance on baptism. Different churches may have different stances, and I'm not going to get into picking apart their stance and who's right and who's wrong. I'm simply going to, to share with you where we stand, okay? So we believe that baptism is a personal decision. You, one thing that you won't ever see here is us baptizing infants, newborns, babies, because we don't believe that they have the ability to decide for themselves. And baptism is a personal decision. Once someone has decided to follow Jesus, baptism is an act that follows it. So it's not something, again, that you're going to see little children, you're going to see people who don't understand what they're doing because it's just some religious act. Baptism, every person who comes up here and is baptized today and anytime you're here in the future, it is their personal decision to baptize. A parent can't make it for them. It's one that each of us chooses for ourselves. Baptism is a personal decision. We believe in full immersion baptism. Full immersion, what that means is all the way under the water. Okay? We don't sprinkle. Uh, some, some churches go and they just kind of sprinkle some water on their forehead I'm not going to say, well, those don't count. and It's nothing like that. We believe, because of the symbolism of baptism, that you have to go all the way under the water and all the way back up. 
It's not, again, if you were sprinkled somewhere else, well, it didn't take and it didn't count and you got to come do it again. The Lord may lead you that way, and if so, we're happy to have that conversation. But our stance is full immersion, all the way down and all the way up. It's the way that Jesus was baptized. When, when baptism is used in Scripture, it's the way the first century church would have understood it. All of the incidents of baptism that we have, where there's any kind of description, they were always coming up out of the water afterwards. They're, so that's what we're led to. So that's what we do. The, the biggest reason for immersion is because we believe baptism is symbolic. And I'm going to explain some of the symbolism and why going into the water and coming back out of the water is so important. But first, I, I want to make it clear, there's no magic at baptism. Baptism is not transactional. Uh, again, there, some would teach that you don't have the Holy Spirit until you get baptized, and once you get baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that. We believe that every person who chooses to follow Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit at that point of decision. Baptism is purely symbolic. There is no magic that happens. You're not like a second-class citizen in the kingdom until you get baptized, and now you have all that God wants for you because before you only had half of it. We don't believe in any of that. It is a symbol of a decision that we have made. Does that make sense? Okay, I don't want to move too quickly through any of these, but I also could get caught camping out. So, so let me talk about some of the symbolism of baptism and why we do it the way that we do it. First, uh, one that most people would associate with baptism, and somebody thought this was a table earlier. This is a baptismal. So if, if you wonder why I'm pointing at this table. The, the reason that we do baptism the way we do, the, the one that people most often think of, is a cleansing of sin. They think of baptism much like a bath. And the symbol of I go under the water and I come out clean, okay? And, and this is a common understanding. Even in scripture, we see uh, John the Baptist was baptizing all of these people. And this was how John was baptizing them. Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died yet. But it was this consecration, okay? That's a, a big theological word that means being, being made clean to get ready for something. In the Old Testament, God would tell the people all the time, consecrate yourselves because I'm going to do something tomorrow. So go get ready today because I'm going to do something tomorrow. And oftentimes, part of their consecration was they would go and actually take a bath. When you live in the desert, when you're in ancient Israel, a bath is not an everyday occurrence. It was a special event. And so they would baptize, clean themselves to get ready for what the Lord was going to do. And some people think that that's simply what baptism is, kind of a, a cleaning off of sin. And I would say baptism has that symbolism to it, but it has a much deeper symbolism as well. Baptism is not just simply, okay, I was a sinner, now I'm not a sinner. That, that's a piece of it, but that's only a small piece. We actually find some places in the New Testament where there was some teachers going and it says that they only knew the baptism of John and believers sat down and it says they taught them fully about what Christ had done. And then they went and they baptized people in Jesus' name. They were just going, hey, God's doing something. You got to be ready and putting people under the water. And the believers came and said, no, no, no. It's so much deeper than just that. Does this make sense? Okay. Now you guys can't even hide behind masks. Like most of you, I can see your faces. Give me something. Truly, the, the, the deepest, richest meaning of baptism is it's a way for us to identify with our Savior. 
We died with him and we were raised with him. The water represents truly the grave. The old me has gone into the grave, just like Jesus, and a new me has raised to life, just like Jesus. Let me read from Colossians chapter 2 here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The the beautiful, rich meaning of baptism is every person who comes up here and decides to be baptized, when they go into the water, it's as if to say, the old me is dead. I'm going into the same grave that Jesus went into, and when I raise... It's with the same resurrection life that Jesus was raised with. And it's this identifying with him. He died to overcome sin and raised to life, and I'm dying to sin and raising to new life. We're going to look at a couple other passages about this here in a minute. But there's this idea of a kingdom transfer. Colossians 1.13 says this, He, being Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Once we were stuck in the kingdom of sin and darkness, we were bound to it, we couldn't free ourselves. The only way to be free of that kingdom was to die. And so we say, I die with Jesus so that I can raise and live in a new kingdom. I'm dying to the kingdom of this world, to the kingdom of my flesh, to the kingdom of my own sinful desires, and I'm raising to the kingdom of God. I have a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. Have any of you guys ever seen uh, an immigration ceremony? Maybe in person, maybe on TV or something like that. When, When people immigrate to the United States, there's this long process they have to go through to become citizens, and then they have this ceremony where they stand up and they all swear an oath and they say, I'm forsaking all allegiances I had before. Whatever nationality, whatever government, whatever, wherever I came from, I'm forsaking my ties to that and I'm claiming a new citizenship. Now I'm faithful to America, is what they're saying. In many ways, baptism has that same symbolism. I'm dying to the kingdoms of this world to the way that I used to do life, to the way that I was trapped in, and I'm raising now a citizen of the kingdom. I am raising now, I live for him. I no longer live for myself. That me is dead. Now I live for the king. Baptism is a declaration. Baptism speaks volumes. First, it's a declaration to yourself. Anyone who has followed Jesus for any length of time has probably had points of doubt. Bad seasons where they woke up and they said, was that real? Did it really take? Was I just fooling myself? Times when the enemy comes along and whispers and accuses as he always will and we're tempted to believe maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I'm not really following Jesus. Maybe that was just an emotion that I had. And we have these times of doubt. 
And in those times, baptism is meant to be a declaration where we go, no, 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 it wasn't just a feeling. When I went into that water, I died and a new me raised again. And we, it, it's driving that stake in the ground. There's that action tied to it where it's not just this emotion that stays inside, but when we act it out in those times of doubt, we can go, no, no, no. On June 13th, I was baptized. I was not faking it. I've been made new. And we can preach that to ourselves. It is a declaration to ourselves in times of doubt. It is also at times of rebellion. When we are tempted with sin, baptism is meant to be that thing that breaks us out of it, that goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. The me that wanted to do that is dead. There's a different me living now. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. There was this argument at the time that God's grace was so big that we could actually sin more and he would have to pour out more grace and we'd be glorifying him even more through our sin. And Paul's going, what? That's craziness. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live to it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In those times when we're tempted to sin, Paul says, look back to your baptism because you're dead. The, the, the you that would have chose that, that would have lived that way, that would have walked selfishly, whatever it may be, is dead. You now have a new life. You've been resurrected with Christ. Now walk in it. He says this in Galatians chapter 2, For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live for Christ. It is now Christ living through me. And baptism is this declaration that we as believers have to hold on to because the doubts will come, the temptations will come, and it is a powerful tool in the life of the believer. I've been made new. I died to all of that. Now it's Christ living in me. It is a declaration to the world. Uh, I've heard it likened to this a couple different times. I think it's a pretty good illustration. How many of you in here have a wedding ring? Okay, good number of us. That's good. Why do we wear a wedding ring? We want to declare to the world, I love them and they love me, and I want the world to know it. I, I wear a wedding ring because I want the world to know I'm hers and she's mine, and I want everyone to know it. I want one of the first things they know about me to be that I belong to her and she belongs to me. Baptism is that same symbol. It's that declaration that tells the world, I'm his and he's mine. I'm a child of the king. I've been adopted in. There's so many beautiful symbols that come in with this. I am his and he is mine and I want everyone to know it. So it's this public declaration. 
Baptism is an act of community. Baptism is meant to be something that binds us as believers together. That common experience that we all have, that in times of doubt, in times of animosity, in times where someone has grieved us, whatever it may be, we have this common bond of baptism that draws us back together. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, look, be humble, be gentle, be patient with one another, bear with one another in love, be unified together through the bond of peace. And then it was almost to say, and look, there's gonna be times when you really struggle with that, and here's what you need to remember in those times. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We've all been baptized into the same family, into the same kingdom. Therefore, bear one another's burdens. Live together. It's supposed to be this unifying act. We've all shared this same experience. How can we fight with each other like this? We're a family. We've been called to more. Baptism is an act of community. And finally, this is a little bit tougher for some, baptism is an act of obedience. Baptism is not optional. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be baptized. You will find nowhere in scripture where it says, if you want to. What you will find is there is an expectation for believers to follow their Lord in baptism. Even he humbled himself and was baptized. And every believer we have in scripture was also baptized. And there is an expectation for us to follow the Lord in obedience, to take the step of faith to publicly declare the things that we've already discussed. Listen to Jesus' last command that he gives to his church, often called the Great Commission. He was commissioning his church out before he left this earth. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Let me sum that up for you. I'm in charge, okay? In case you read anything here as optional, Jesus goes, before I give this to you, let me remind you, I'm in charge. Therefore, because I'm in charge, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This looks like three different instructions, right? Go make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey. Actually, it's one. Go make disciples. Now, let me tell you what that looks like. This is people who are baptized and who are learning to walk in the way that I've called them to. People who have followed me in baptism, who have publicly declared my kingship, not mine, his, people who have publicly declared, I am now a citizen of the kingdom through baptism and now are walking in obedience to me. That's a disciple. Can you be a disciple and not walk in obedience to Jesus? You can't. We all stumble. I'm not saying perfectly, but can I be a disciple of Jesus and go my own way? 
I can't. Can I be a disciple of Jesus and refuse to declare his kingship through baptism? Now, here's the thing. That sounds strong. And I, cause I don't want to overstate this. It's not that if you haven't been baptized, you're not a believer. No more than simply putting a ring on this finger makes me married, right? It's a symbol. But how is my wife going to feel if I refuse to wear the ring? There's some dishonor there. There's some, whoa, what's, is your relationship okay? What's going on? And it's in the same way with the Lord. He calls each and every one of us, if we are a follower of his, if we are a child of his, a citizen of the kingdom, to declare it through baptism. It is not an optional thing in scripture. So if you are in here today and you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I would ask the question, why not? If it's because I'm just scared of being in front of people, we've dealt with that before, it's okay. To be baptized here at the church, you have to say yes to two questions. You'll hear me ask here shortly, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? You can say yes. Are you ready to follow him wherever he will lead you? Yes. That's all you have to say. If you're scared of water, we're not at the river anymore. There's about a foot in here. Any one of you can sit up, you'll be okay. So what's holding us back? It's not an optional thing. If that's you here this morning, I'd love to talk with you later. I'd love to have more conversation about what this means and why this is important. It's not an optional step for the believer. So now we're going to take some time and we're going to practice baptism. We're going to celebrate baptism. We have two people who are going to be baptized this morning. Uh, we've kind of already talked with them about what to expect. I want to tell you what to expect. I'm going to have them come up and we're going to ask them those same questions that we talked about. Here is your responsibility. When they go under the water, when they come back out, what's the very first thing they should hear? Celebration. This is a celebration. This is a declaration of new life. And you are not just some audience here. We're participating in the celebration. So when this little brother and sister come out of the water, they need to hear celebration. And then later today, as we spend time in the picnic and everything else, I'm going to ask, just, just hug them, congratulate them, talk to them about it. This is a celebration, and we're to celebrate with them. Make sense? As the day goes on, Find them, congratulate them. They're both huggers, I promise. It'll be okay. Let's continue to celebrate their baptism. I told you, if this isn't your favorite day, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's a, a new song that just came out by Crowder, and he has this thing, and he says, um, the day of your second birth is the best day ever. It's better than sunshine. You know, and... Oh. <laughs> These guys had decided to follow Christ weeks, months ago, but the day of declaring it and celebrating it is a good day in the kingdom. So let's talk about the second celebration that we're commanded to do, one that we will partake in, communion. Here's what Paul says about communion, teaching the church in Corinth. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
communion is more than just eating a little cracker and drinking a little juice. The, the purpose of communion is even more than just going, hey, Jesus, thanks for what you did on the cross for me, though it is that. When you actually look in context, we focus so much on the bread and juice, we forget that this happened at a meal together. Again, a meal together in the culture back then was the most welcoming thing you could do. It was the most familial thing you could do. Jesus continued to get in trouble in his ministry because he ate with people he wasn't supposed to eat with, right? By even sitting at their table, Jesus, you're putting them on your level. And now Jesus sits at a table with his disciples. And he says, when you drink the the cup and when you eat the bread, remember me. Remember, he hadn't died yet. He was saying, remember the way I lived with you and loved with you, the way we did community together, the way I served you and empowered you to serve others. Now we are able to look at it and see his death and resurrection as the ultimate act of service on their behalf as well. But communion was meant to be, remember what binds you together as a family. And it's me, he would say. When you gather together and enjoy a meal together, remember what it is that binds you together. It's our love for Jesus Christ. Communion is meant to be that continual reminder of the thing that we have in common that trumps any other thing. The reason why any one of you were always welcome to my table because we share Christ. And that binds us together in unity. Remember, this would have been a meal. The thing that we do, this isn't even good. Let's be honest. During COVID, we had to do this, and this wafer is just a little piece of styrofoam, it feels like. I think this was juice at one point. I don't know what it is now. It's not good, but it stands to remind us the thing that we all celebrate together, Jesus' love for us, yes? So what we're going to do today, though, is even better, is even more accurate we're going to share a meal together. Hopefully, right about now, there's pork out there, which is worth celebrating. We are going to take time to share a meal together. And let me tell you, we're not going to use these. We won't have a bread and a cup. We're not going to have a time that we stop and we eat the bread and we drink the cup together. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is more like what they would have done. We're just going to share a meal and fellowship together. We're going to enjoy one another's company, and we're going to take the time to remember what it is that unites us together, our love for Jesus Christ. It's what makes this more than just strangers getting together to have a meal, but a family reunion, and that's our love for Jesus Christ. So Paul goes right on from there to say this, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul gives a very strong warning, again, not just about juice, but about coming together, about calling yourself a part of the family, about celebrating what Jesus has done with the rest of the body, yet holding on to sin in your heart. It's hypocrisy. It's an unworthy manner. And Paul says the one that that does it actually eats and drinks judgment on themselves. It's a strong, harsh warning. And so what we want to do is take a few minutes and allow the Lord to examine our hearts. Lord, is there anything that I have against a brother or sister in this room?
is there anything a brother and sister in this room might have against me? If so, I would say make it right before you go get a plate. Let's celebrate what the Lord has done for us through a meal together, through enjoying each other's company, but let's do it in a worthy manner. Clean before the Lord. Nothing to hinder our fellowship with each other and with him. Does that make sense, church? So we're just going to take a couple minutes simply to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything between you and me? Is there anything a brother or sister and I have between each other? If so, let's make that right. And then let's go enjoy a time of fellowship and communion together. So let's have a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to communion of a different kind, may we truly experience fellowship today. Walking together, carrying one another's burdens, being bound together in the bond of unity and peace through your Holy Spirit, just as the passages we've read. We are a family knit together by Christ. May we celebrate this today. God, again, if any one of us has something against a brother or a sister, convict our hearts, Lord Jesus. May we make it right. May we walk together in peace and unity, enjoying what you have for us. May you be glorified through a time of fun, through cornhole and pork and whatever else. May you be glorified because your family gathers and celebrates your name. In Jesus' name.